So good to have everybody here. We are celebrating in this wonderful country of ours Martin Luther King Jr. Day tomorrow. And, um, and we as a church also just want to take a moment just to kind of acknowledge and celebrate it. Um, it is the 31st time that it will be celebrated in terms of a federally recognized holiday in this, in this country. Um, and Martin Luther King Jr., of course, I don't know if you know this, was, um, was, is one of only three individuals who have been given the honor of having a federal holiday recognized for him in particular. And uh, there are values of this man's life and his kind of legacy that I think are very pertinent to who we are and who we want to be in the kingdom of God. And so I, you know, even though for some of us these things can slip into just like a holiday and we take the day off and we go and and have a fun time and, and, oh yeah, that was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Let's at least acknowledge what it is that we're celebrating. Um, This man's legacy, specifically of nonviolent civil disobedience. Um, I think is such a profound uh, example of very similar, in fact, to this nation that Minda and I lived in for the past eight years with a man named Nelson Mandela. I don't know if you've both fighting racial, a very similar situation. South Africa, it's apartheid, or apartheid, as we would say here, and here it would be racial segregation. Very similar, though, in fact, a institutionalization of racial injustice. And uh, he fought it with, with a nonviolent civil disobedience, which is to say both of these men uh, recognized that the enemy isn't the oppressor, actually. It's beliefs and thoughts. It's ideas that hold us in captivity, which is the very thing that you and I can stand and say today as representatives of Jesus on this earth. No man or woman is our enemy. Now, I know we all agree and say amen to that and, and nod our head, Uh, But we forget that sometimes. Um, Can I say Barack Obama is not our enemy? Can I say Donald Trump is not our enemy? Thoughts, beliefs are our our enemy. Beliefs that are rooted in something that is the result of the fall of man. That is our enemy. That is what holds people in bondage. And we're not here to attack people. We are here to love the oppressed and the oppressor. And bring everyone into... um, liberty, healing, setting into their place of ministry. And can I remind us of this awesome scripture of Isaiah 61? Healing, liberty, setting into their place of ministry, and ultimately that people, rapists, uh, I can't think of some good words, you name them, misogynist, sexist, whatever, they become, according to verse 4, rebuilders of waste places, they shall raise up the former desolations. Every single person as sick and demented or as normal, and whatever the case may be, God sees a rebuilder out of all of us and every one of them. Is that cool? So let's, let's celebrate that today. And, um, and now I just want to get into what we're going to be talking about tonight. Last, last week, you may remember, and this is kind of the plague of, of if you have my job, You spend hours praying for and preparing a message that will revolutionize people's lives, knowing full well that within seven days, they don't even remember what it is that you preached. (laughs) In fact, there are times when I can't remember what I preached. I have to think about it. So, But last week, just to refresh our memories, we kind of said that the point is this. The the goal of what we're aiming at is is this, is to just make an intentional 
uh, in, uh, uh, choice of opening up our hearts to allow Jesus into any place where there could be brokenness of any kind into our hearts and to trust him because trusting him is that place. And actually, it's when we're, any area where we don't trust Jesus is where the brokenness maintains its power in our lives. And most of us have areas of brokenness. I would probably dare say all of us have some form of brokenness in our lives. And most of the time, we don't even know it. And we don't think of ourselves as broken people. But the, but the, the fact is, we've been born into a world that is distorted by the fall of man, by the sin that exists in this earth, and the pain that that brings upon us or that we're just born with. And had we lived any time in the kingdom of heaven and then, you know, been forced to kind of like take a week and live here on this earth, we would realize the sharp distinction between our life here and what life is like in heaven. But our home, my friends, as somebody who has Jesus living inside of you, the confession that Jesus is your Lord, your home is in heaven. And the, and the liberty that exists in heaven is the liberty that he has paid the price for for us to live in here. And so the beginning of it is knowing how much Jesus actually loves us. And if we know that, it's the beginning of the human heart being able to trust him. And as we are able to trust him, he's able to do what he wants to do, which is actually bring healing. Most of us think if we trust him, if we actually like do that daring thing of putting our trust into, into, into his into his hands, he's probably going to like say that we have to become missionaries to Mongolia and like we'll have to give up everything that we, we ever wanted. And it's going to be a horrible thing. And if he does do that, you'll actually find yourself wanting to do it. But the fact of the matter is he doesn't want to wreck our lives. He actually wants to heal and fix it. That's the way he is. So we're going to talk about fear uh, tonight. And I want to be incredibly practical Every single time we meet, not just like talk about stuff out of the Bible, incredibly practical where it really meets our real lives. And so if I could just put up on the, the screen, there's this incredible book, Heart Made Whole, Krista Black Gifford. I would highly recommend that any, everybody try to get a copy of this book. It is available online. Uh, and this is going to be incredibly relevant as we go through this journey over the next weeks and months as a church of the healing of the heart. Let's not go into anything trying to accomplish this great purpose. The first thing that God wants to do with us is to heal our heart, bring us into a place of wholeness. I'm not saying that we have to have that thing perfected before he uses it at all. I'm not saying that. But, but let's, let's not just kind of sweep things under the rug and try to go on doing the ministry. Let's allow God to do some deep, powerful things in the heart. And this, this lady, Krista Black Gifford, had some uh, profound negative experiences of pain in her life. She's not like some, um, like, you know, messed up, um, that's maybe a bad way of saying it, but it's not like she's wearing a straitjacket in a mental institution or something like that. This is a, like, normal lady who was born and raised in a Christian home, in a ministry home, who had great loving parents, and who was not abused or anything of that nature, but just through the pains of ordinary life, experienced rejection, experienced various forms of pain, and that became recurring cycles in her life. And she came to a place of realizing that those things in her heart had brought her into repeating events in her life of getting close to somebody, them hurting her or her hurting them, and pain and recycling 
thing of pain. She was in a ministry kind of inner healing, if you want to say it that way, um, counseling session uh, with another Christian counselor. And this person was just leading her through a prayer time and encouraging her to go into a kind of a one-on-one time with, with Jesus, of really and bringing her heart before the Lord. And she began to experience what we call a vision. Now, some of us may not be familiar with that. These things are rooted in Scripture. In other words, in her mind's eye, she began to see something that she felt was being shown to her by the Holy Spirit and with God giving her a message. And so she writes about this experience here, and I'm going to read this to us. Is this okay? I'm going to read for a couple pages, So, uh, but I really want you to, to hear this. She says, in this, um, as she was going into this kind of vision moment, she said, Father, I whispered softly, search me and know me. I don't have a clue what's going on inside. Everything feels so confusing. All I know is that my wounds are destroying my life and the, lo- and the lives of those I love. Please, Father, will you help me understand what is really going on deep down and heal this pain? And as if a curtain was lifted on a movie screen, a scene began to play out within, and the eyes of my heart opened to the most beautiful sight I had ever seen. I was standing directly in front of Jesus. Deep pools of the purest affection sparkled in his eyes, reflecting an ocean of love as endless as the heavens. Like an inescapable pull of gravity towards the earth, his gaze seemed to pull my heart straight from my chest, singing an unsung melody that drew every cell of my being into a safe harbor of pure love. My physical body might have been sinking into an ordinary chair, but with eyes closed in a posture of surrendered prayer, my heart was being led into an encounter with a beautifully real God, more real than anything I had seen living with eyes wide open. Jesus was a tangible person, as accessible as the air, and he wanted to spend time with me more than anything in the world. The longer I stared into his face, filled with compassion, the more my weary soul began to let down the walls I had built in protection around my wounds. As I gazed directly into his strength greater than all my problems, the violent winds of worry began to calm within. The affection of this man was so sure, his arms were strong and inviting, and there was something about his smile that assured me that joy was always available in this place. Does that sound like Jesus to you? An encounter with the real Jesus. And if Jesus, let's remind ourselves of what we read about last, last week. If Jesus really did what he did, if he really died for sinners and took the punishment that they deserve, that we deserve on his, on his behalf so that we wouldn't have to be punished, that speaks to me of a love that doesn't know any boundaries. So that's what she encountered. Then she says, then everything changed. Suddenly, a dense wall of dark smoke began to rise out of the ground in front of my feet, stretching far into the sky, separating me from Jesus. As I watched the blackness fill the air, panic began to claw like a monster inside, choking out the peace I had just found. The harder I looked for him, the less I could see anything at all. The more desperate I was to get back to his gaze, the faster hope drained from my soul. Jesus, my heart prayed frantically in the blackness. What is this wall between us and how do I get back to you? I don't think anyone in here has ever felt that way. Silence. I watched myself running up and down the wall, feeling for an opening but finding none. Something began to twist in my gut, my panic giving way to something far more sinister, deepest rage. The heart that just minutes before had been overwhelmed with affection and devotion to the God I had pledged my life to now began hardening into stone. The reality was a part of me was furious at the man standing on the other side of the wall. 
With fists clenched, jaw tight, and face reddened with rage, I threw back my head and did what I had wanted to do for many years. I started shouting at him. Why do you keep letting me down with broken promises that seem more like suggestions, Jesus? Excuse me. Aren't you supposed to be powerful? Aren't you supposed to love me, God? What a joke. With years of training myself in obedient composure, it felt frightening to let the hot lava spill from my lips, but this volcano was erupting. Why do you keep allowing me to be rejected, betrayed, and abandoned by people who claim to love me? You promised me freedom in all areas, so when, you, when are you going to deliver on your word? I can't do this anymore. So many of my relationships are broken, and so are your promises. In fact, keep your promises to yourself, Jesus, because I can't handle being disappointed by them anymore when they don't materialize. How am I supposed to believe when you don't do what you say? My heart raced as I felt myself pacing back and forth in the vision, shaking my fists at a darkened sky. I screamed out again, I should be further along than I am at this point in my life, and I've done everything I know to do. So how do you expect me to become all you want when you keep allowing this world to crush me? Like a devouring monster liberated from a lifetime of captivity, I threw my head back one last time to release my heart's deepest guttural scream. I'm angry at you, Jesus. I don't trust you, and I hate you for not protecting me. Crumpling helplessly into a pile of sobs on the floor of my naked heart, my physical body sat weeping, heavy with the weight of an ugly reality. I had asked my whole to see my whole heart, and God had eagerly answered my prayer, but I wasn't prepared for what I saw. With eyes closed tight, tears pouring off my chin, I was painfully conscious of the broken heart inside that brewed with toxic bitterness towards the God I longed to love. This was the real me, all of me, finally exposed by the light of the truth. I wasn't able to love God with my whole heart because this part of my heart, offended by wounds and angry from pain, felt that he was the one who had let it shatter into a million pieces. That afternoon, I realized that at its core, the offended, broken pieces of my heart didn't believe that God was good. How could he be when so many bad things continued to happen, causing so much pain? My wounded heart had built a solid case against the goodness of God through a lifetime of bad experiences. And so it it goes on to say, Jesus actually begins to converse with her. And he says, Krista... And I looked up suddenly, peering with curiosity into the blackness, alarmed by the firm, confident, but kind voice of Jesus as it thundered through the wall and shook my core. I knew, this is Jesus speaking, I knew the fall of man was going to happen and that life and people would break your fragile fragile heart. So I gave you the ability to guard yourself, even urging you in Proverbs 4.23 to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. He paused for a moment and let out a deep, painful sigh. But my girl, I never intended you to guard your heart from me. Like a husband forced to listen to the distant sobs of his wife as she lay beaten and bruised by an intruder, Jesus had endured years of my painful wails without being invited in close to help bandage the wounds. While on the outside, I looked all together and had said yes to him at an early age. Over time, I had kicked him out onto the streets accusing and condemning him for all the bad things that had happened over the years. But instead of turning to walk away, Jesus had waited faithfully at the door of my heart, knocking, simply believing, crying, praying, strategizing, moving heaven and earth to be reunited with the one he loved enough to die for, 
the wounded, confused, and bitter me. After years of being rejected, this man didn't just want me if I was fixed and perfect, but as I was, broken and bleeding. And she goes on to say later, God hadn't left me to be tormented by a cruel world. He was heartbroken that I had been broken by the fall of man. And he was longing to come in and to heal and restore all that had been lost. And so what I want to talk about tonight is, is reality. Hopefully that, 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 that story kind of sheds a, a bit of, of reality. We're not talking about religious performance and perfection. Every single one of us probably have areas of our heart that are whole before God, maybe that even genuinely love and trust God, and all of us probably have areas of our heart that are broken, that hurt. And you usually know when you have such a thing because you want to try to keep it hidden from God. It's something you just kind of don't want to bring in. It's the same thing as what happened at the fall. Man sowed sig leaves, fig leaves to hide themselves, seeing that they're naked. God comes and asks, where are you? And they saw that they were naked and they wanted to hide. And the very issue of the new covenant is coming out from hiding and once again trusting in God. Because you remember the original lie at the fall. If you remember this from, from last week, the original lie, really, if you look under it, of course, it all had to do with eating a fruit from a tree. The real idea was God did not really mean what he said, i.e., God cannot be trusted, i.e., God doesn't really love you. That is the lie from which all other lies sprung, spring. And it's understanding the reality of his total love for us that we can actually begin to trust him and allow him in to heal our hearts. So what I want to talk about now are fears. Now, I know no one in here has ever dealt with fear before, right? So I'm just going to read a list here of, of particular types of fears. And as I do, I'm just going to ask, you know, the gospel goes to the poor. It goes to those who have a recognized need. I'm just going to ask us all to humbly, within our own hearts, just to consider which of these fears, and this is not an exhaustive list, which of these fears possibly apply to us? And I'm also going to suggest that Jesus actually does want to practically, tangibly help with those things. So financial worry, fear of man or man's opinions, fear of the unknown, fear of abandonment. In fact, I'll put them up here. With fear of the unknown, fear of abandonment, maybe abandoned by a spouse or loved ones or close friends. Fear of failure, uh, fear of pain, hurt, or loss. And if none of those apply to you, you, you plug in your area of fear. How do we know that we're afraid? Here's some kind of fruits that grow on the tree of fear. One would be uh, hoarding. Um, Controlling others, despair and depression, obsessions such as obsessed with your physical fitness, obsessed with physical appearance, self-imposed limitations. And what we mean by that is having the potential to live beyond what you presently live in but because of fear of the unknown and fear of what lies outside of your comfort zone, living in your own prison of self-imposed limitations. Sickness can be a fruit of fear dwelling in our hearts, untempered. Loss of confidence, loss of inspiration, 
inability to love, lessened functionality. And so I just want to start us off. Three truths of the gospel, foundational truths, the core of the gospel. I mean, we preach about a lot of stuff in church, but I'm afraid that sometimes we just lose the rudiments of what this whole thing hinges upon. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ ascended. And three things that are rooted in those three things. It's all about Jesus. We don't actually need to go beyond Jesus. Jesus is enough. And the truth of seeing God incarnate in the person of Jesus and who he is, that is enough for us. And so three ideas that I just want to remind us of out of the gospel, that the gospel clearly shows us these three things. He loves you in the face of, your, of our fear to know that he loves you. That right there, really knowing. Now, I know, like, Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so, and we learned that in, in our, you know, baby Bible class and all this kind of good thing. I, I, I get that. The real knowledge, the, the experiential knowledge of the love of God, the, the, the unending love of God, to know that in the face of your fears, that will change how we walk through this life in the face of fear. And how many of you know every single person? I don't know how... I don't care how, how brawny you think you are. Every person in this room will encounter fear in your life. So the knowledge that he loves you, Christ crucified, the ultimate expression, he cannot love us anymore, but he is with you. The idea that Jesus actually left heaven, perfected state, voluntarily left heaven to come into this earth to be with us and is identified in the scriptures as Emmanuel, God with us. He's with you in the face of your fear. And whatever it is that you're, you're encountering, he is there. Like there, in that fear, right there. And then finally, those two things don't actually kind of seal the deal until we actually realize that in addition to him loving me, so it's not like he's just angry with me. A lot of Christians believe that. Like, surely I don't measure up. I'm not a good Christian. I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not, not like these other church-going people and so surely he kind of like, I've lost some brownie points in his love for me. To know that regardless of us, regardless of our performance or whatever we've done, he continues to love us. He is with us, but he's also able. And you can't dethrone fear in, in, unless we acknowledge the fact that he has resurrected from the dead. Nothing can stop him, and now he has ascended. And where he is now is not Jesus, the Lamb of God, hanging on a cross. He is seated in the highest place with all power and all authority. He is fully able. He's able even when we're messing stuff up because we're not perfect, which none of us are. He's still able to work with us and help us. In the midst of this, uh, in the midst of our, our journey, in the midst of our still maturing and still coming through, so let's read this scripture, Isaiah 9, chapter 6 and 7. It's good to be able to say Isaiah again, because for the past eight years I had to say Isaiah, living in South Africa. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And um, the idea of this scripture is that the leadership of Jesus in our lives, so take this, apply it to whatever your fear, my fear may be, the leadership of Jesus in our lives produces peace. It really, really actually does. Following Jesus, trusting in him, produces peace. Let's read it. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So I just want to point out from this scripture, the Prince of Peace, the idea is that his government produces peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince, speaking of his jurisdiction, his leadership, his kind of governmental leadership. He's the Prince, but is the Prince of Peace. In other words, his leadership, his government, his jurisdiction, following, living under that, produces peace. It's like the identity of what it is to follow him, as opposed to having to be sent off against your will to Mongolia. He produces peace. His leadership actually produces living in the place of trusting in him, that place where, yes, it may be uncomfortable to us because we don't have the control. We're, we're yielding it over to him. We're consciously yielding it, but that place actually produces peace. Like, there's peace in that place. And so, if I could just remind us, if, if I were, I mentioned this last week, but if I were in a ditch, stuck in a ditch, I had fallen into a ditch, which I certainly could do, truth be told. If I were in, in, a, in a ditch, and the ditch was so high that I was unable to climb out myself, or maybe I was just physically incapable of doing it, or whatever the case is, and I'm calling for help, and somebody comes to the edge of that ditch, and uh, looks down and reaches down, would it be, and let's just say his name is Jesus, what, would it be f- fulfilling, would it do the task to look up to Jesus standing at the precipice of the ditch and say, I praise you, Jesus. You are wonderful. Thank you for hearing my call. Thank you for coming. Wonderful, Jesus. You are awesome. Would that actually accomplish anything? Probably not. But... The issue is I actually have to reach up my hand and grab a hold of his as he's reaching it down and leverage, you allow him to leverage his strength to pull me out of the ditch. It's, in other words, it's not just rejoicing in Jesus as Savior. To actually walk in what he's provided for us, the way you do that is by following and receiving his leadership. Does that make sense? A lot of Christians wonder, like, I've been born again, and how come these things aren't working in my life? Well, they, they, the, thing, the promises of God operate under the jurisdiction, under the governance of God. It's in the place where we're trusting him. But in order to trust him, we've got to understand how he feels about us. And it's when our heart is melted from that that we're able to trust him, and we're actually able to experience the blessings. That's why Jesus initiated this thing in the first place, the cross in the first place. It says that his government, and the government will be on his shoulders. The government, again, speaking of his direction and administration of his will, that produces peace. And the idea of peace, many of you would know this Hebrew word, shalom, technically means peace because of prosperity. In other words, peace that I'm walking in because I have what I need. And that, that is the idea of following Jesus, is that we actually have all that we need as long as we're following him. Under his leadership, we're well taken care of. My friends, can I just say this? Fear, the fear that you and I deal with, fear is rooted in the idea that God has departed from us, that God is not with us. 
at some level, if you go way down into the fear, it's rooted in this feeling that God isn't actually with us or that he's not able to come through. We're left to ourselves. When in fact, the reality is, the irony is, is that fear is rooted, is that fear itself is departing from the belief that God is with us and is that his leadership does take care of us. So in other words, we actually are the ones who are departing from Jesus and the fear that's coming to us is actually uh, believing that he's departed from us. Fear and worry do not come from God. If you look at 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I know maybe we've heard that scripture a million times, perhaps, I don't know. But the reality is he has not given us a spirit of fear. So when we're encountering that thing of fear, to be able to understand that isn't something that God gave us. That's huge right there. Because usually when we're having thoughts, we're having feelings, we assume that because we feel something or think something that it's true. That's, in fact, when, when the first thought came to Adam and Eve, eat of that fruit, she looked at it and saw that it was good, it was pleasing to the eye, it was good to the taste, and it was, for whatever reason, it was capable of making one wise. Those were all true things, were they not? Right? Go ahead, nod, that's okay. Everything that she saw was true. It was 90% truth cloaked in 10% lie. The lie was, if I eat it, it won't cause me to die, but it will, in fact, open my eyes so that I would see good and evil and become like God. The 10% lie cloaked in the package of 90% truth got her to hook, line, and sinker and take the bait. My friends, you and I continue to have thoughts and feelings enter into our soul that are rooted in fear that seem so real and are based on 90% truth, but underneath, inside of there, is something that's going to get you to act in a way or take an action or believe something that just holds you in captivity or ends up with you hurting other people. And so to war, wage war against that thing. Fear, the lie of fear, was not given to us by God. If you don't believe me, just believe the scripture. God has not given us. Every time I feel that fear, I understand God did not give that to me. It's not from him. But God, though we may not feel it all the time, the Spirit of God inside of us has given us power, love, and I kind of like this translation the most, a sound mind. How many of you ever felt fear before, and it feels like it clouds your mind? It's this weird feeling of like clarity, like you're seeing something, but it's, it's this nasty feeling that comes along with it, and you begin to become confused about things. That's fear. It's clarity of mind, soundness of mind, is what when we're receiving and, and engaging the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings clarity. He brings a sense of power. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Power, love. So oftentimes we experience fear, and it's actually, if you look at the root of it, it's actually the opposite of love. It's getting us to question other people. What are they thinking about me? Why did they say that about me? What? But love and of a sound mind. Let's, let's identify 
fear. I was recently in a counseling situation where I was talking to somebody who was really struggling with uh, constantly doing things that hurt other people and just feeling like they, they keep on doing the same stuff. So they find themselves, especially with people who are closest to them, they keep on doing these things getting irritated with people that love them the most and getting irritated and lashing out and, and doing them. And so as I was speaking to this person, I began to say, well, let's, let's delve into this. Let's, let's look at kind of like how the mechanics of this thing operates in your life. And I said, with every sin, here's a principle that you can always take. With every sin, there's always a belief attached to that sin. In other words, some, something that we're believing in our hearts, in the recesses of our heart that we grab onto, that we believe, and we probably don't even know it. It's not like when, when we re, re, believe something, you know, that the enemy in the same way that the serpent spoke to Eve, it's not like we're like aware of it. He, do, he usually doesn't come to us with a pitchfork and saying, I'm the devil, believe this lie. You feel what I'm saying? It's, it's very, it's, it, it feels like it comes from within us. It feels like it's a part of us. And so I was counseling this person that when you sin, you're usually, almost nine times out of ten, maybe ten times out of ten, you're believing something inside of yourself that is actually a lie. So what is the lie? And they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Lie, you know. So I said, okay, let's go through the mechanics. When you actually hurt this person last, let's look at how that worked. What, what, what did that look like? And so he, the person began to explain what happened and then it got to a point where that person said something and I felt irritated at that person, and, uh, and begin to express like what the emotions were. And I said, okay, so when you felt that feeling, did that feeling ring inside of yourself? If you look at it, was that the same feeling that you think Jesus has towards that person? Well, like, and let's bear in mind, Jesus hung on a cross to die for them, to take their, the punishment of their sin on them. Do you think that Jesus, those are his feelings? Well, no, probably not. Um, well, the reality is that feeling that you have towards that person, that, it, wow, this is, be gracious with us as we, as we plant the church. <laughs> it's a bit of a fuzzy feedback here. Said so, said, if that feeling is not consistent with the way Jesus feels about that person, we have the ability to believe something that is display, that would displace that other feeling that you have towards that person. So to capture that feeling, once it hits, to capture it, to recognize what it is, where it comes from, and to choose in that place, Jesus, how do you feel about this person? Now, that may feel you know, like you've got to be a spiritual juggernaut to do that, but that's real. You can actually live in that. And the key is, what I'm wanting to encourage us tonight, is to deal with fear and to see it and to not just allow it to penetrate into our heart because we've been so used to it, it being there and for us our, building our identity around it and knowing it and, and having our thoughts built around fear, but to begin to catch it as it's trying to influence us and realize God didn't give that to us. But if that's the case, then there's something else that he did give that I can begin to trust him for power, love, and of a sound mind. So having said that, let me just say two kind of uh, tips that I would say in terms of dealing with fear. Things that have meant quite a bit to me in dealing with fear in my own life. One is simple prayer with thanksgiving. 
So let's just read this. Philippians uh, 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Did you hear what I just said? Be anxious for nothing. Yeah, but that's like the Bible. I mean, no one really lives the Bible. That's like for angels. Be anxious for nothing. And I can remember, like, reading this in a place of anxiety and, like, like feeling cornered. Like, okay, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> so I've got no excuse. Like, be anxious for nothing. But what I love about the writings of Paul is he never tells you what not to do without telling you what to do. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I can remember this one time I used to be involved in um, mortgage financing years ago as I was also a teacher at a private Christian school and kind of like doing both to, to survive. <laughs> and uh, I, I remember I was, I've got uh, my youngest son Peter had, had just been born and we've got diapers. And uh, if any of you have had kids, diapers like, you know, cost quite a bit of money. And uh, we were not exactly rolling in money at the moment. And I, I remember I was sitting there and I was, I was had, had like deal after deal after deal that were all falling through. And I'm looking at like, I've got to put food on the table. I've got to have diapers for my kids. I've got to pay the mortgage. I've, like all these things that are pressing on me knowing I've, like, I do not know how I'm going to get through this. And the fear, do you know that, that feeling? Some of you dads, I'm sure, know that, that responsibility on your shoulders and that sickening, cold feeling inside of your belly. Like, ugh. Like, just feeling like I am alone, I'm a failure, nothing is coming through here. And I just felt totally overwhelmed. And uh, it's the scripture, be anxious for nothing, <laughs> that came, that, you know, kind of reminded me of that scripture. And I said, you know what, I'm going to just go do what that scripture says. I remember I went into the boardroom and, and locked the door, and I just started to pace back and forth. And I began to just tell God his own scripture. God, you said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And I like, I, so I have a need. I, you know my needs. You know what we need. We've got diapers. We've got food. I've got to be able to pay the mortgage. I've got to take care of my wife. You, you know what our needs are. I need your help, but I'm, I'm thanking you. I'm thanking you. So it says that with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So I've got to thank him. So I started thanking him. Like, God, I thank you. Okay, what do I thank him for? Well, I, I'm going to thank, I thank you that your faith, I thank you that you can take care of me. I thank you that you're able to actually take care of this. You are able. As I began to pray with thanksgiving, I began to praise him. I began to choose to praise him, even though I didn't know how in the world he would come through. I began to choose to to thank him for something I hadn't even seen yet, but because I knew deep down in my heart something of the truth that he is actually faithful and began to remind myself out of my spirit that reality. As I did that, something of faith began to rise up and encourage me to where that fear began to diminish a bit. I walked out of that boardroom and uh, with, with a, a degree of expectation, and that's really the issue, is that sense of actually reminding my soul God is with me, he is able, he loves me, he's for me, and I can trust him. Though I don't know how he's going to come through, I can trust him. Went out of that boardroom, came back, and um, I began, because of clarity of mind, and this was such a learning experience for me, because of clarity of mind, it's like when I got out from under the fog of that fear, I was able to sit down at my desk 
and I was able to look over some files that I've been working on, and it's like I had this clarity of mind to be able to realize three different solutions for three different clients, was able to call each of them before I knew it. My pipeline was full within the same day with deals that were going to come through that all of a sudden I went from like the world is caving in to wow, you know, like Disney World baby. And so I'm not saying it's going to be that dramatic every time, but, I'm, but I am just sharing that story out of my own experience of this is real. Like this is, it's real. It works. God's faithful. This stuff works. Fear is your enemy. Don't coddle it. Don't make a friend with it. It's not going to help you. See it for what it is. It's just trying to bring destruction upon you. We try to justify it. We try to make excuses for it because we feel like other people will be condemned if we live with fear or something. I'm, you don't need to feel condemned, but you do need to say your enemy is your enemy and your friend is your friend. Jesus is your friend. Fear is not your friend. Deal with it like it's your enemy. Don't try to make excuses and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's not here to help you. You're not born with it. You're not predisposed towards it. Yes, some of us can be more than others, without a doubt. But it's still not your portion as a believer in Jesus. Deal with it with trust. And again, I live with the reality that we can only, quote unquote, deal with it with trust to the degree that we really know and experience his love and understand his love for us. I'm not just trying to put another, this is how you as a Christian should live. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to encourage us that Jesus loves us. He can be trusted and in the moment of fear to simply not accept the fear, but to turn your trust in whatever that fear is. Trust him. Trust him with your heart, which is ultimately, that is what this thing is all about. And so that's what I'm trusting for, is, is an encounter of, of the love of God for each of us. And so praise, how did I say it? Pray with thanksgiving, but then secondarily and finally is this, is believe the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent Therefore, and believe the gospel. In other words, the kingdom of God, the realm of God, the spiritual dimension where God's will is done, Jesus came to proclaim the presence of that, that he had restored access into that. Does that make sense? Just go ahead and nod if it does. <laughs> Let's make a conversation out of this thing. The kingdom of God is at hand. Another, at hand. What does that even mean? That's like such a weird expression. Who says that? Like, you know. Like, the block restaurant is at hand. What the heck does that mean? It means it's within reach. It's within grasp. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel simply means to turn your trust over to him so that you can walk in the, in the kingdom of God. And what, do I, what do I mean by believe the gospel of the kingdom? Is, is this idea here that repentance and belief in Jesus through the gospel, does this to us. Romans 8.15, the spirit you received when you believed. I'm putting those words in there, but that's what the context is. When you believed, the spirit that you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Your portion as a child of God is not to live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him 
we cry, Abba, Father. The idea that we are now sons of God, we cannot leave his fold. We have his name on us, just like Peter and John David have my name. They're my sons. They can mess up royally, but they're my sons at the end of the day. They're never going to lose that. They are mine, and I have responsibility for them. I love them like I love myself. They are mine, and that is who we are. He will not leave us. The spirit he has given us is not one for us to live in fear, but because God loved me. Irregardless of my performance, God loved me. God is with me. He's not just like loving me from out there somewhere. He actually is here. He's given me his spirit. He lives inside of me. He loves me. He lives inside of me. And he is capable. He is able to see me through no matter what I face. In that reality, to encourage ourselves in this face of fear, those are the truths that, we, that, we, that will ultimately hit at the, at the foundation of every fear that we face. He, is, he loves me. He is, he is with me. And he is able. So uh, could I just ask, I think that it's, Kurt, maybe if you could join me. Could I just ask that, um, <clears throat> that when, when, when somebody speaks to us, I'm not actually asking something, maybe let's make a, make a point. When somebody speaks to us, it is actually, um, or when you speak to somebody, tell me if, if you would agree, when you, have a, when you make a comment to somebody, especially something that would be of value, something substantial, and have you ever done that and you, and you say something to the person and there's like a non-response? Do you know what I mean? Thanks for, for nodding, Minda. In fact, Minda, sometimes you've been, you've been the, the giver of the non-response. <laughs> Keep talking to me later. That, but, but you know that feeling. You say something of substance to a person and it's just like, it's, it's, it's actually, like, kind of rude. Uh, but, but more than rude and all that kind of thing, the idea is when somebody shares something out of the depths of their being with another person, it's like it's reaching out to the depth of the other person. It's only fulfilled when there's an exchange, a response, some kind of a reciprocation. The exact same principle, honestly, applies in our relationship with the Father. And so you may say, well, what do you mean, like, when he speaks to me, like, I don't even know what that means, like, what does like, his voice, like, rumble from the heavens, and, like, I hear the audible voice of God, because I've never had that, and I don't know anybody who has. Now, I'm not saying that. There are times where it can be such a subtle thing, even in a moment like this, like, where we're hearing the, the scripture preached, or per- perhaps we're studying the scripture, or it could be, like, as you're making toast in the morning, and, and like, something registers inside of you that you, f- you know you, the whisper of heaven. Some, the Holy Spirit has spoken something to your heart. It is important, just like it would be important to recognize what a human has said to you, it is important to recognize what, what God speaks to you when he speaks to your heart. He stands there knocking at the door, but it's our conscious effort to, in a sense, turn that lock and acknowledge the knock. See him. Invite him in to allow him to do something, whatever it may be. That's where the reciprocation fuels activity of what he wants to do in our lives. Could I, could I maybe just ask us to stand if you, if you feel comfortable doing that? And the way we ended uh, this past, past week was just to acknowledge 
in, in the face of fear, perhaps um, you feel something stirring. Maybe there are areas in your life, and again, our whole goal last week, this week, is just to make a conscious decision to open up our hearts. So simple. Just open up our hearts, acknowledging perhaps areas of brokenness, acknowledging places that we have been afraid of yielding to him, places that we've been afraid of surrendering to him. Maybe it's been fears, maybe it's been whatever, but in this in this moment, consciously making a decision to trust him. And there is immense power, my friends, when we just make that conscious effort. You may say, what's the use? I've been to church services ad infinitum. But I want to say, when you authentically, truly yield something to Jesus, there is power in just making that decision to invite him in. Jesus wants to come in, but he can only come in so much in so much as we actually make the invitation and respond to him. Could I ask if you just want to make that conscious decision just to lift your palms towards him? Not for me, not for anyone else, just to, just to make some kind of a conscious, uh, uh, excuse me, some kind of a, a, a representation with your body of, of a posture of yielding. Lord, we want to recognize that, that you are the one who knows everything. And you know our hearts. We can hide those things from people. We can hide them from ourselves. We can try to hide things from you. But you know it all. And you already love us regardless. And you accept us just as we are. And you already know how to heal us. Lord, I know that there are areas represented in those in this room, in any of us, where you want to bring healing. Repetitions, patterns of behavior that have continued, feelings, thoughts, emotions that have continued to do nothing but bring destruction in our lives. And surely we know that you are better than, than that. That's not, that is not your kingdom come, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, we, we want to acknowledge we don't know how you do it exactly. But we want to consciously yield to you right now our fears, the areas that are broken in our, in our hearts, in our lives, and we trust you. We invite you. Be Lord. Be Lord. We declare and receive you as Lord. Even in that illustration of reaching up and grabbing your hand from the ditch, we don't just praise you from the bottom of the ditch looking up at you from a distance. We respond, we reciprocate and place our hand into yours. Say, Jesus, would you lead us? Lead us into the healing that you want to bring us into.